Good morning, everyone. So my brother was 29 years old uh, when he was first diagnosed with cancer. And, and over those 29 years, we, we lived a lot of life together. Our family was and still is very close. So whatever we did, we typically did it together. We enjoyed taking trips together. We enjoyed camping, spending time at the lake. We would cram people in the car. We would pack people in the tent. We would pile people into the boat. And we had lots of great memories of our our time together. Since Jay and I were pretty close in age, we often played on a lot of the same sports teams growing up. And until we got into high school, our interests kind of diverged a little bit. He got into tennis. I played baseball. Um, but we still shared a lot of life together. We even went to college at uh, Tech together. But after he graduated, uh, Jay went on to move to Dallas where he worked for several years and then moved into the Houston area. When I was in PT school, I actually lived with Jay for several months as I uh, finished up an internship in, in Galveston in that area. So we had a lot of life together. But when he got cancer, everything changed. Our, our conversations went deeper. Our time together was much more intentional. Uh, the future was uncertain, so we wanted to make the very most of the time that we had. And I can honestly say that in those two years of his life, as he battled cancer, we got closer together than in the 29 years that preceded it. And as wonderful as that truly was, there's a part of me that's kind of sad that it took that long to go to those places. Because we all know it's easy to get caught up in our everyday lives, lose sight of the relationships around us. We, we have a tendency for our world to get really, really small. And, and we miss out on what's most important in life. And I think that's part of what Peter has in mind in our passage this morning. He doesn't want us to lose sight of what really is limited time. So why he begins our passage by saying, the end of all things is near. In other words, we need to make the most of our time. And so in order to do that, he'll talk to, about, talk to us about the, the priority of prayer and the power of love and the practice of grace teaching us to invest our time into what matters most. Because here's the reality, and we all know this, we just don't think about it very often. The fact of the matter is, when we leave this world, we leave our careers, we leave our money, we leave our possessions, and our true wealth will be determined by the relationships we had with people. So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I think every once in a while we need to kind of be shaken loose of some of the things that easily entangle our attention in the world today um, and help us see if there are, in fact, places that are robbing us from what's most important in life. Help us see things that may be stealing away the, the time and intention that we need to have with the people around us. Father, if there are things that are distracting us from our attention to you as our Savior, 
as our defender, as our rock, as our shield. Would you, through the truth of your word and the power of your spirit, speak deeply into our hearts tonight to, to, to shake some of those things loose so that when we leave this morning, we have realigned and refocused on really what matters most in life. And would you help us see that through your word this morning? And we pray this in your name. Amen. So if you would, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll pick up where we left off last, and I wanted you to read verse 7 with me, where Peter continues his letter, and he says in verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Now, I want to pause there, and as we begin, I want us to consider what to do with that statement, the end of all things is near, written in a letter that was over 2,000 years ago. Because from our modern assessment of time, that doesn't seem very near, does it? But let me remind you of what Peter actually says in his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, when he writes, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some count slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, the whole motivation behind what Peter is saying here is the assurance, the conviction, the certainty that he has that Jesus Christ will come again. He knows that to be true because he heard those words spoken from the Savior himself. And he also knows that when he does come, he will judge the living and the dead. He said that just two verses earlier in verse 5. It says, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So that day has been set. The day of Christ's return has been determined, which tells us if that's a fixed date and time, and it is, then every day we live is one day closer to Christ's return. And though 2,000 years ago may seem like a long time, and it is, the fact is there is no guarantee of what our future will be. In fact, it's kind of a sobering thought, but the reality is most every person in this room will be gone within the next 70 years. And for many of us, much, much sooner than that. My brother was 29 years old. Nobody, nobody saw that coming. So please don't assume that you have all the time in the world. Instead, Consider what it means to make the most of the time that you have. Peter says, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul writes and says, don't be like children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men by craftiness and deceitful scheming. In other words, don't be confused by all the chaos. Don't get lost in all the lies because there's a lot of things in our world that is competing for your attention, is drawing you towards them as if they are the most important thing in life. And it's just simply not true. So don't get lost 
in all the lies. Don't be distracted by what is happening in the world around us. Instead, be focused on the simple, life-defining truth of the gospel. And Peter begins by saying, really, the best way to do that is through the priority of prayer. Because it makes sense if you think about it. We don't know what the future holds, do we? Right? But, but in prayer, we turn to the one who holds the future. So, so prayer is a posture of dependence. Because not only do we have a limited amount of time, we've also been called with a very specific purpose in mind. Right? Even though we're here for a limited amount of time, we're not just kind of going about our days doing what we want. We've actually been called to something specific. The Bible says that we are ambassadors for Christ. There we are ministers of reconciliation. The fact of the matter is, the only reason we're here and not in heaven is to fulfill that purpose. That's why Peter told us just in chapter 2, verse 9, you've been set apart. You are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. Your purpose in life is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And and we turn to God in prayer to understand how to fulfill that purpose in our everyday lives. You see, here's the reality. If prayer is not a priority in our life, it's very likely that we are living more for ourselves rather than for God. Going about our day and assuming we know what is right, doing what we think is best. The prayer is a posture of dependence that says, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. In, in prayer, we look for his guidance. We trust in him more than we trust in ourselves because there's this fundamental conviction that truly believes, apart from you, I can do nothing. So it would be foolish for me to try to carry on in my day without going where you're leading. Prayer is a priority. It's a posture of dependence. It's the recognition that apart from him, we could do nothing. And get this. Okay? This will blow your mind. Even Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. He goes on and says, I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. See, prayer was a place where even Jesus, even Jesus gained an understanding of God's will, God's purpose for his life. That's why he prayed in the garden. In Luke chapter 22, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, but yet not my will, but your will be done. What is your purpose, God? That's what I want to follow. You see, we cannot faithfully follow God's will apart from the priority of prayer. Look at how he continues in verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. It starts with the priority of prayer. It proceeds with the power of love. And notice this is not just love in general. It's a certain kind of love. It's a fervent love. And not just to anyone, but specifically to one another, to brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is a devoted love 
towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this love, Peter says, covers a multitude of sins. But what sins? He doesn't say, does he? So, so maybe he has in mind the proverb that sounds very familiar, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. It says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions, all sins. Because Peter perhaps knows that love is the foundation of forgiveness. Love is the motivation for mercy. Love, love covers the multitude of sins because like Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. It, it doesn't act unbecomingly. It, it does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love covers a multitude of sins. But I think probably more likely, Peter is pointing us to Jesus because it was his love that covered a multitude of our sins. He canceled the entire certificate of debt being held against us, as Paul tells the Colossians. Or as Hebrews tells us, Jesus offered one sacrifice for all sin, for all time, and sat down at the right hand of God. His love covers a multitude of our sins. And since that's true, maybe Peter is saying, since Jesus did this for us, then we should do the same for others. And that's certainly the, the heart behind what Paul writes in Ephesians 4.32 when he says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. In fact, I might go so far as to say, if we harbor resentment and unforgiveness towards someone else, then the fact is we probably haven't truly experienced the love and forgiveness that Jesus Christ has towards us. Because bitterness towards others and love from God cannot coexist in the same heart. I think that's why Jesus told his disciples in John, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father also forgives you. You experience, you give to others of what you've received from him. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. You see, we cannot walk in fellowship with God and then refuse to forgive other people. We need his supernatural love from him in order to extend that same love and forgiveness towards others. An abundant love that we receive from our Savior, and then pour out to the relationships of people around us. See, this love, his love, is the foundation of our forgiveness. His love is the motivation for our mercy. As Jesus told his, his disciples, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Keep fervent. Be devoted in your love for one another and be hospitable to one, one, towards one another without complaint. This past week, um, as many of you know, the staff and I went to a church leaders conference at Watermark in Dallas. Many of you prayed for us and we're very grateful. It was a very rich time. And as we were kind of debriefing, talking about things, 
To a person, every one of us was impacted by the over-the-top hospitality that we experienced while we were there. I mean, from the moment we walked in the door, it was like they had been waiting for us for a full year to arrive, and in fact, they had. Because what we learned is they had been praying for each and every one of us, 3,000 people by name. They had handwritten notes to each one of us, 3,000 people. They fed us some incredible meals. They showered us with love and affection. But but as we were talking and I began to think through this, that over-the-top hospitality that we experience should actually be the trademark of every church, including ours. People should walk into this place and be surrounded by love and affection. We should go out of our way to know their name, to hear their story, opening up our own lives as well as our homes. We should be hospitable to one another without complaint, which is an interesting qualification, isn't it? Being hospitable without complaint. But if you think about it, it kind of makes sense because it's awful hard to be kind and complain at the same time. Hospitality requires us to put aside our own preferences, right? For the good of someone else. To cater to the needs of others instead of expecting others to meet our needs. We have a limited amount of time. Because as Peter reminds us, the end is near. We are one day closer to Christ's return when we woke up this morning. And when he arrives, our true wealth will be determined be determined by the relationships we had with people. Which is why if you're too busy for meaningful community, then you may be consumed by what is temporary instead of investing in what is eternal. Because our faithfulness in this world begins with a fervent love for one another. That's why Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. How? Because of your love for one another. It is the trademark characteristic of a faithful follower of Christ. Look how he continues in verse 10. And as each one of you has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the priority of prayer, the the power of love, and then he talks about the practice of grace. Knowing that, as Peter tells us, each and every person within the body of Christ has been uniquely gifted by God. We see that all throughout Scripture. Paul talks about it in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when he says that, here it is, each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He goes on in verse 11 and says, but one in the same Spirit walks, works all things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. And so every single person 
in the body of Christ has been gifted by God to contribute something to the common good of the church. To the point that you possess a gift that meets a need that I have. We were built to be interdependent upon one another. Each of us are stewards of the manifold grace of God. We practice grace by speaking truth into the lives of others based on the truth that God has spoken to us. We serve the needs of others based on the strength that God has supplied to us. What we give to others is an overflow of what we've received from God. Because James tells us, James 1.17 says, every good thing, and there it is, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So what that's telling us is that every gift we have originally and ultimately belongs to God and it has been given to you on loan so that you can use it in a way that brings him glory and stewards the manifold grace that he has given you. And I want us to consider as we think about that, what a contrast it is to what Carrie talked about last week. Because if you'll remember, when Peter references their former life, the life they lived apart from Christ before they came to faith, as he says in verse 3, earlier in chapter 4, for the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of, listen to this list, sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. Every single one of these behaviors centers on self-indulgence. It's all about me. But as a Christian, it should look very different. In fact, just the opposite. Instead of self-indulgence, it should be a life filled with self-sacrifice, carrying on the ministry of our Savior, who, according to Mark 10, 45, did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom, the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of many. In the end, our goal is the same as his. To glorify God and to magnify his name forever. For to him belongs all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As I was thinking through this passage this week, I just kept thinking as we were, as I was walking through and preparing, I thought, man, this is really good stuff. <laughs> I mean, really, really important. But at the same time, so incredibly difficult <laughs> to live out. Because we live at such a pace that very often it's hard to pull this off successfully. I think busyness is the primary barrier to everything that we've talked about this morning. In fact, we're often too busy to pray. We're too busy for community. We're too busy to serve. As the old adage says, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you what? Busy. But very often, instead of pushing back on that, we embrace it, don't we? I mean, just think about how we greet each other. How you been? Oh, good, good. Just really busy. Yeah, me too. As if it's a badge of honor, right? That we're busy. But let's be honest. Being busy can often be a barrier to being faithful. 
After all, how can we walk in God's will if we're too busy to pray? Listening to God, allowing him to guide and direct our lives. How how do we fulfill the mission of God if we're unwilling to be committed to the community of God's people? Where that mission is ultimately being fulfilled. The truth is we can't. Which is why this passage is so helpful to kind of realign our priorities. And it really does begin with that priority of prayer. And not because there's some magic formula that if you say the right things in the right way, that somehow good things will happen. In fact, you don't have to say a word. Prayer is a posture of dependence. It's the recognition that apart from him, we can do nothing. It's the conviction of Moses when he said, Lord, if you're not in it, it's not worth doing and we're not moving. That's what it is. And so take some time this week to pause in prayer and let it begin with just being silent. Don't say a word. Just listen. Ask him to speak. Love that posture that says, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. Let that be your prayer this week. But right alongside the importance in prayer is the priority of being with his people. Because our experience of God's love cannot be separated from our commitment to God's people. Next to the investment of our time to to be present with Jesus is the commitment to be present with one another. And you'd be thinking, well, well, that's, that's true, but, you know, I've got a family, and it's important that, that we invest in our family, and I agree. But your family should be in part, a part of that investment in God's people, God's community. This past week, I'll give you a good example. We, Wills did a great job having a senior recognition night where each of the senior students kind of gets in the middle of a circle, and people from around the circle, both students and parents, speak into the life of that graduating senior. What struck me was how much life they had actually lived together. Many of these parents who were present knew these seniors since they were in kindergarten. And they loved them as their own. And not just in that moment, but really throughout their life, had spoken powerful words of truth. I can't tell you how many times in my own experience raising our two boys that I would share things with my sons that I thought were important, (laughs) but I felt like they weren't going through until they went and spent time with Carrie Gilbert, and then they would come back to me and say, you know what Carrie told me? (laughs) It was the exact same thing I was saying, but it just meant something different from him, and praise God for that. That's the way the body of Christ is designed to work. And when we step out of our commitment to community, we withdraw those truths from the lives of those that we love the most. So make prayer a priority. Be committed to community. And finally, be willing to serve, which once again, let's be honest, is hard to do when we're on the run. You just simply have to have margin in your life. If you're going to serve the needs of others, is more important than your own. We have to have space in our schedule if we're going to invite somebody into our home. And so 
let me just encourage you to consider how you might serve. And I've got a great example for you if you're looking for ideas, all right? <laughs> it was actually mentioned this morning. And, and here's the reason I bring this up. How many of y'all have ever led a volunteer team? It might have been a project at school. It could be an event like Park Ridge does with their life walk, okay? If you've ever done that, you know one of the most agonizing experiences of organizing something when you're leading volunteers is getting people to sign up. Because you have a job that needs to be done, but you can't make anybody do it. You're completely dependent upon their willingness to pitch in, and it can be agonizing. So here's my request. Would you please take the agony away from the Christie's? Seriously, don't, don't make them wonder every week if they're going to have enough volunteers to take care of our kids on that Sunday. Go sign up this morning, just one week. Before you leave, go out to the children's desk and put your name down. Be a blessing to them by making a sacrifice of your time to serve our kids. And I promise you, when you do, you'll be the one that walks away having been most blessed. If I'm not telling you the truth, then come see me and I'll give you your money back. (laughs) But I think I'm right. The priority of prayer, the power of love, rates of all people within the church. So may we not get caught up in our everyday lives so so that the world gets really small and miss out on the relationships around us. Don't look back like I did and wish that I hadn't waited 29 years to get really deep and meaningful in my conversations with my brethren. When we leave this world, we're going to leave our careers. We're going to leave our money. We're going to leave our possessions. And the most important thing that we will possess, the true wealth, will be determined by our relationships with people. So let's make the most of our time. All to the praise and glory and honor and dominion to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for holy wake-up calls. (laughs) Thank you for the ways that you speak timeless truths through your word that apply very significantly to the world in which we live today. And I do ask, Lord, that you would be gracious in allowing us to elevate these things in our lives so that prayer becomes an increasing priority. Husbands, wives praying together, families praying together, small groups praying together, all in a posture of dependence, trusting in you. Lord, I pray that we would be committed to community, the self-sacrifice of our time for the good of someone else. Help us to serve the needs of others is more important than our own. Lord, help us to make the most of our time by being committed to the priority of prayer. Help us to to be committed to our time as we look to you and love one another, serving one another to the praise and glory of your name. Amen. Let's stand together. Praise the Lord. So good. I just want to encourage you. Um, I really feel like what we talked about there at the end with the application is what the Lord put on my heart for our church, for where we are today, as it applies to the passage that we looked at. But I also want to recognize something else. 
And that is, in reality, within the context of our passage, these were a suffering people. We've talked about that before. But you can see how these very same things are so critically important for those who are in the midst of suffering, which includes people in the room this morning. Because prayer is the place where you find refuge and strength. Because suffering, by definition, is something that you can't control, right? So prayer comes to the one within you whom you find refuge because he's in control of all things, sovereignly in goodness and grace. But also the importance of community because the very worst thing that can happen to someone who is suffering is to be alone. Isolation magnifies suffering more than anything else in the world. And so we need each other. We need safe places to have hard conversations about things that we're working through. And we need to serve each other. Service, when we're suffering, is critically important because it kind of gets our mind off of our mess and realize that there are a lot of people who are struggling with messes of their own. And so suffering, actually, or serving actually helps us in our suffering. And, and so regardless of where the perspective comes from, those truths still remain the same, don't they? And so I would just encourage you this week, as you live out this passage, that you would, one, be prayerful, that you would look around you and see those who might be suffering, that you would be hospitable by inviting them into your home to give them to a safe place, be, a, be in a safe place with people who love them and care for them, and pray together. Amen? Lord, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for this sweet family who does so much of this so well. I'm so grateful to have been on the receiving end of the prayer, of the community, of the service. And I just pray that we can grow in faithfulness, that we would never be satisfied with where we are, knowing that there's plenty of room for us to grow. And may we do that as we look to you, to all praise and glory and honor be to your name. Amen. Have a great day.